Hello and welcome to episode 220 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is a guest that I think has been one of the most energetic, fun, silly and just brilliant since I've started this podcast. I'm thrilled to announce that I'm joined by Danny from the incredible band Dune Rats. On this interview, it gets really crazy. He's so fun to talk to and we get to share loads of experiences about growing up, our bands that we loved, the music that shaped us to who we are today. But not only that, we get to talk about their brand new album, Real Rare Whale. Not an easy one to say, but this album is just over 30 minutes long. And honestly, it's banger after banger after banger. It's astonishing. And you should go and check it out because as you're listening to this, it's out now. Go and stream it, go and buy it, treat yourself to a vinyl, a CD or however you listen. And when you do, let me know on the social media channels what you think. And if it's this podcast that then put you in touch with this band, then I've done my job well. What I like to do on each and every episode of Mark and Me is use the intro to touch base and talk about my last episode. This was a couple of weeks ago. I've had some time off and hey, it's been a bit of a break, but it means that I've got to rest and come back bigger and brighter. And do you know what? On the last episode, it could not have gone any better. I was joined by Jim Adkins, the frontman from the incredible Jimmy Eat World. This for me was my most downloaded episode in a single day ever. It is now, as we sit here, the most downloaded episode in history for Mark and me. It's beaten Mads Mikkelsen, it's beaten Anthony Hopkins, it's beaten Kevin Smith, and it just went insane. I think this is because Jimmy Eat World and Jim Adkins himself shared it on their Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and it just blew up. The notifications on my phone didn't stop, and it was unbelievable. I've had some incredible feedback and I just want to say again, thank you so much to everyone that tuned in and thanks to Jimmy Eat World for coming on the podcast and taking the time to share it. It went crazy. But today it is all about Dune Rats, a band that I've fallen in love with and Danny is one of the best people I could ever ask to talk to. So I think the best thing to do is to get straight to the interview. So here's me and Danny talking all things music. So Danny, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. No worries, Woody. Good to, good to be here. <laughs> what I like to do, um, dude, is I like to take it right back to the very start. So I want to know when you were growing up, tell me about those very first records that you remember buying, maybe of your pocket money or a part-time job, and that you just fell in love with music. I reckon, that, well, the first record, the first music I, I really fell in love with, I stole from my sister. Uh, she used to have a, a crate full of cassette tapes and she would like record multiple albums on like, you know, one side would have one album and the other side would have another. And I, I remember, cause I was actually listening to this song yesterday in the car was it was Nirvana MTV um, unplugged. Amazing um, album. That, that session. And I remember just because there was only a moment that she would walk out of her room that I could dash in there, grab a tape and then run out without being caught. So I didn't even really have time to see what I was grabbing. So by fate, I just grabbed this one and it was that. And then on the other side was crash test dummies. I don't know. Oh, if wow. you remember. Yeah, yeah. I remember that, that famous song. Um, um, mm, yeah. Yeah, dude. yeah dude. So that it was like that. And so that was kind of my first ever, um, I remember like listening to um, a band and, and it was Kurt's voice in particular um, and that um, cover, like, 
you know, uh, where did you sleep last night? Um, oh my the God. Um, and just kind of like getting like, holy fuck, I don't know what this is, but like, it's not the fucking wiggles. <laughs> it's not, it's not, um, you know, it's not kids music anymore. And it was kind of then sparked that um, want for like, just dive into music. My mum was massively into the Bee Gees and um, Michael Jackson and all that sort of stuff. So I'd, I'd, I'd heard that music before growing up, but it was kind of the first time I, I heard like, Aurora music, I guess, and yeah, and a vocal that was kind of like you could hear a lot of the uh, I guess he had like a real tortured sort of voice as well, which was really really cool. Um, and then like sort of go through there and and then massively into punk when I was growing up, you know, living by the beach, it was um, you know, always surfing and skating and stuff, so you know, we were big, I was big into like Blink, Pennywise, um, you know, some 41 who, who you just had on. Um, yep. And um, was super fortunate to write with Mike um, who does writing with, with them, um, with Derek in particular. Um, this, that was for not this album, but the previous album, um, which was like a really fucking awesome experience because, you know, um, it was just cut when we wrote the last album, we was going to America and writing with like um, Feldy from Goldfinger, um, you know, writing with Mike Smith who'd done uh, Mike Green, sorry. Um, who, who's writes with some and yeah. So that, that was really fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, I'd say that that was kind of the, the start of it all. Like the first band I was in was pretty much just a blatant pop punk ripoff band of all those, all those bands. What was the first gig you went to? Because for me, when I go and watch a band live, that's when I really experience what a band can be in the power. You know, on a on a CD, you have all those guitar overdubs, you have all the extra, mm. you know, takes. But when you go and see a band live, I think it can be really raw, but it also really like it makes the hair stick up on your neck, and you get that you know bass going through your chest. What was that first band you remember that made you think, I want to fucking do this? I want to stand up on stage and be like this person. Well, the, um, by the way, I fucking cannot agree more. I think that like when you record, you record to make the song the best it can actually be. And yeah. but then when you play it live, you, you've got to make sure that you don't try to recreate, focus too much on recreating that and just make it the best fucking live show you can make it and make it. There's nothing wrong with that difference. I, I never think that if you come to a Dooney show, you're not going to hear the exact thing on the album. You're going to, you're going to see a fucking awesome show though. And, and you're going to forget about, and you do get those things of think, man, it's better live because you can see what's actually behind it um, yeah. and feel like that. For me, that was the hives. I kind oh, of nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'd saw them. I was I was nineteen in Brisbane. I was I grew up in Coffs Harbour, which is a coastal town between Brisbane and Sydney. So we didn't get many shows. Actually, we got Vans Warped Tour when I was fifteen, and I saw Pennywise and Mighty Mighty Boston's, and and I was kind of like my eye opening to see bands. But I didn't think oh, I really want to do this. Like I kind of thought, fuck, that's fun, um, and the vandals and stuff, but. I was 19 and I was in Brisbane and my mate said he had tickets to the Tivoli to see this band called the hives. And I didn't, I'd never seen them before I heard of them. And um, so I just said, yeah, I'll take the ticket with you. I'll go with you. And um, just from the moment Pele walked on stage, I was just like, holy shit. The way that he can have the whole crowd eat out of his hand and just yeah. like that bravado, but like, it's not masculine bravado. It's just like fucking, you know, here I am you know and you're gonna you're gonna have a good time like he just commands you to just like lose that little bit of like inhibition that people like sort of 
uh, you can go in there and everyone's kind of like, you know, it's a bit too cool for school at, at one moment. And then he just kind of makes you just next thing you're clapping and fucking, you know, and he really does it with an ease. And we were really, really fortunate to support them for their Australian tour a few years back. And that was kind of like that moment where, you know, people always say like, they, you know, you meet the, don't meet heroes, yeah. Don't meet heroes. And for us, the reason why that's still true is because they were amazing. I was just so nervous. I got absolutely wanked before we played it <laughs> and played the worst shows ever. And it was kind of like that lesson that um, just because you're wasted doesn't mean it's going to be a good show. Like you think it might look good, but you're absolutely off your face. But our booking agent was at the show and he was like, man, you guys need to pull your head in because that was horrible. And and I just remember, like, it was kind of a good experience because I never – we kind of started playing way better after that because it was kind of up until that moment we played club shows, all our mates were there and we could get wasted. And This is the first time we were supporting a massive band in big stages. And, we and man, it's so hard to, like I, – I feel sorry for any band that has to go on after the hives, but it's also really tough – to go on before the hives, knowing the hives are about to blow you yeah. the fuck out of the water. Um, but they were amazing, man. Like they were such good band to, they were really nice. And, the, and I remember after the tour, I was in the uh, back room and finally like, you know, meeting these guys that sort of inspired. I didn't, I luckily I didn't uh, say that to them. I, I had enough restraint. You too much of a fanboy. Like, we're not worthy. Yeah, I, know, I, wanted to, I wanted to, but I sort of kept it cool. Um and yeah, but just they were really lovely dudes. Well, we saw them at a festival in the UK, and I remember them at the time. They were just breaking through. Um, There's that massive single they had. Was it? I hate to say I told you so, or whatever it was. Yeah. The one that really, and they yeah. they came on in their suits, and they just from the moment, even if you weren't there to see them, you'd be walking past, and they'd just hang on. Those guys have got something, and the energy of them on stage, and the way they perform, and like you said, the vocalist is just like. For me, he's up there with bands like the Ref- like Refuse and stuff. He just captivates the moment he comes on, and he just took my attention, and I I was speechless. And I was like, these guys well, dude, are fucking a... incredible. What's well, it? There was a moment there where Swedish punk was just fucking on fire. You had yeah, the high Refuse, Mill and Colin. You know, there was just like it. It was so good because they I don't know they just write different as well lyrics. I yeah. feel. It's like, um, and and it's kind of like, I like punk that comes from a market or a place where they don't see it as something that will make them a lot of money as well. I kind of feel like even though the hives are super uh, punk with a real nice pop melody edge to it, it, it kind of their earlier stuff. I remember before I saw them live, um, just thinking that punk was a bunch of like dudes wearing dickies and hats backwards and yeah. cons. And and not realizing that these Swedish like refused in particular as well that that it's fucking like yeah it's just different like it's all different forms of punk and um yeah I refused another epic band like I remember seeing when um Dave was in a, a side project called the International Noise Conspiracy I don't know if you remember that band yes but, uh, I do yeah and I remember seeing them play in Brisbane one time and you know just seeing how he has so many different sides to him. Um, you know, he can be in so many different bands and yeah. he's just some vocalist. Um, he's been on the podcast before and he's just the, I could talk to him for days. He's, oh. he's the way he is and his stage presence and everything. It's just, I just fucking worship refused. Yeah, dude. And and again, another amazing front man. Like, and, yeah. and so these are the guys that like 
you know, the first band I was in after my little high school pop punk band was a blatant hives ripoff band. It was like, I was a free singer, you know, like um, would spin the mic, fucking yeah. <laughs> all this, like what you look back at, it's so embarrassing because you're just wearing your inspirations and your influences heart, like on your sleeve. But it, it's kind of that thing that is also, it's like pretty cliche to say, but you just, you, it, 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 no matter what your art form is, you, you do that early on. You just, and there's nothing wrong with it. I think that that's the big lesson that you, you kind of try and say to anyone who's like kids you meet at shows and they're like, man, what's your big advice about starting out and shit like that. It's like, man, don't be afraid to like copy the shit out of whoever you want, because eventually you grow out of it and you become your own own band. But I remember like that made me realize how important it is to have a fucking entertaining live show, not just be someone standing on stage thinking, oh, if I nail the music, then then that's a good show. It's kind of like beyond that, you can you actually don't need to nail the music. You just need to make it enjoyable for everyone. And, you know, you, you, we've been on tours with bands where um, they'll come, these aren't big bands, but like back in the day, they'd come off stage and there'd be a singer or a guitarist. They're like, man, you fucked up that part. And we're sort of sitting in there like awkward, like when you're going at, like when a couple's fighting in front of you or something, you're sort of just sitting there just like, uh, where do we look? What should we do? Yeah. Like yeah. shit, man, just fucking have a beer and have a good time. I, I love that you're honest though. And saying that, you know, you wanted to be like the highs. I was in a band at school and it went on to college and we were basically just trying to be silver chair. Uh, I went to the neon <laughs> ballroom tour saw Daniel yeah. Johns and was like they're one of the best free pieces I've ever seen um yes, and yeah. we our set list every time we played college gigs was literally seven or eight songs off Frog Stomp three <laughs> songs off Freak Show and then at the end we play one of our own songs and then come back <laughs> on and still finish with like emotion sickness or something just to try and keep going yeah. but um yeah man it's it's hard not to be influenced so much that you will just want to be that band but you also break away from that didn't you yeah dude and i mean it's overwhelming when you start out and i think a lot of people went to like we're starting to rack up a few years as dune rats but it's overwhelming at the start to think like fuck man like do i have to have like 10 bangers right now like like you that's why it's I always like want to pass that down as like, fuck dude, do covers, do whatever you need to do to get out and do a 30 minute set. Like, um, because you know, as you, as someone that's been in a band, it's like your first gig gives you that, that end goal to get out and have a set. Like, you know, yeah. you, a lot of times sit around in a jam room and you just like fuck around until you actually have to go out and have a booked show. And then you're like, holy shit, we need 30 minutes. Like let's fucking write as, you know, we've got to write some songs and shit and giving yourself those deadlines of a show is kind of good kick up the ass to actually go and play. Yeah. It's good. And I mean, you guys then obviously started out as a two piece, didn't you? Yeah. So we sort of like, so BC and I met, um, when we both lost in a band competition is in different bands. Um, and good we old battle like, of the bands. Oh, it was, it was awesome. And the guy that the band that won's no longer actually. So <laughs> cop that Dom. Yeah. No, fuck you. We won the long yeah. one. Yeah. But um, we remember, I remember us meeting each other and we were like, I was like, dude, your band was cool. And he's like, yeah, so was yours, man. And I was like, your band should have won. He's like, no, your band should have won. We were like, you know, sort of thing. And then we were like, Oh, you know, like, and throughout the night we're drinking beers and I was like, well, do you know, I like, cause I was a free singer at the time. I was like, but I just want to play guitar and sing. And he's like, well, my band won't let me sing and play drums. And I was like, well, why don't we just like do a two piece thing? Like, and his band at the time was signed to Island records. So they were a bigger band oh, than, nice. than us. Um, 
And I was like, man, yeah, I'll, I'll fucking, if you want to, we've got a rehearsal room just near the Valley, which is where everyone drinks and parties and stuff. And I was like, well, we'll just like have a jam. And, um, and so we were jamming and writing a few songs just each Friday night before we'd go, you know, on the piss together. Um, and this guy who was in a band called the John Steele Singers, Tim, and he, um, and he came and was like, wanted to record bands and he's like, never recorded a band before. And he was like, man, some of those songs are like, sound all right. Like I'll record you guys an EP if you want. We were like, fuck, all right, sick. So that was sexy beats, <laughs> the EP. And, um, and then we had an EP all of a sudden and we put it on the internet and it started like, weirdly enough, just people started liking it and, and we started getting offered shows for like 200 bucks. And we were like, man, let's just do these shows. We can get some beers out of the money and um, we'll do that. And eventually it just grew to the point that we're getting in and um, in a state shows. And, and then eventually someone was like, man, you should have a bass guitar. And we were like, Oh, okay. And so we started just getting all our mates that were in big bands like Brad from the vines. Um, he jumped on Shane from DZ Death Rays, um, Sean from last dinosaurs. We would just get whoever wasn't playing a gig to jump in on bass for us. Um, and just really for a couple of years, just did that until we toured with Bleeding Knees Club and met Brett and he was drumming for them at the time because he can do everything. Brett's fucking amazing. You just grab an instrument. It's always one in the band, isn't it? Can oh, he's... And just fucking play it. <laughs> yeah, dude. He's the talent. Me and Mick are the looks of the band. Yeah, you, you blag it and get by and then yeah. he's the one that's got the skill. <laughs> but, he, um, but and it, you know, on that tour, he wasn't allowed to smoke weed or drink um, when they were playing and because we needed uh we couldn't afford to have a bass player he would play bass for us and we would all be smoking weed and drinking and he was kind of sneaking off drink you know smoking with us and um and then pretending he wasn't high with them and eventually he's just like man i just don't want to do that you know i don't i want to be able to play in a band and enjoy my time um and so we were like we'll just join doing rats more do you know 33.3 percent repeater like no you know you're not you're not joining a two pieces the third wheel like let's just be a free a three piece, piece yeah yeah and it has been like that for 10 years now um we've just been the best mates and it's kind of um yeah you know we started off as a two-piece but i don't i really feel doing rats didn't become doing rats till brett joined because it was like you know that's when we actually could start writing decent songs like if, if around the first album he he was starting to help write songs and uh and then the second album when zach uh was produced zach from fiddler helped produce that um and helped work on our songwriting we started to like uh i, I guess if it was a sway like on one side there was drinking partying and on the other side there's music and we were so heavily on the drinking smoking and partying sign and songs would come second it was kind of like we would use the show as a means to travel around and drink and party and do that and slowly over time it started swinging to fuck let's start trying to write really good songs and and start to like put on really good shows and i like to think now we're heavily on the other side where yeah. we're still drinking party and do all that but we actually give a fuck about the songs where we're writing and um and put a lot of effort into them I mean, you wouldn't have sustained it would you to just burnt out and as much as it's great to party and have fun you want the music to do the talking yes dude yeah we just don't want to be like the scott green brand forever you know like it kind of um as as it as comfortable and easy as it is to just sit back and go fuck yeah we'll just write drinking partying songs the whole time um you know it's kind of like uh, we just have always wanted to write songs about different things. I know probably a lot of people think we write a lot of songs about partying and drinking, but 
um, if you actually look into it, there's only a few songs on each album that actually cover that. Um, and especially this album, there's one song um, called Drink All Day that's about drinking and partying and the rest is, um, I like to think we cover a couple of other topics, <laughs> the yeah. other nine songs. Do you, do you feel like you're just progressing? Because obviously, did you say now with Brett, you've been 10 years as a free piece? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel that like, you're just evolving all the time? So with obviously the dynamic change of a two piece to a three piece is huge. You've got that whole baseline, the guitar changes, the melody changes, there's more breakdowns. Yeah. You can do so much more because you've had like a decade now with Brett. Do you just feel like you're just getting to that point now where you, like you said, you're not just writing the fun party songs. You're trying to explore new ideas be a bit more serious i suppose with the lyrics and the songwriting and about emotion yeah, dude, like the boys you know. the boys are always like because we've known each other and we're like literally they're gonna be here at my house tomorrow we're gonna go snowboarding and shit so it's like not one of those bands where we just check in for the band stuff and check out it's kind of like we've been best mates for 10 years so yeah we will uh we've all gone through a lot of life shit together um and We've got a lot of good shit and a lot of bad shit. We've, you know, so we've got thick skins with each other, and we've always in songwriting just said, "No, nah, that's not cutting it," or "That is cutting it," or "Hey, what do you, you know?" Like, if I bring a bunch of lyrics to them, they'll be like, "That's really good. That one, not so good, dude." Like, you know, we got to get those lines out, or you know, um, we've written about this before. Let's write about something else. And so I think that as it goes on, we just become this band that, especially with this album, we kind of were we wrote 60 songs i think for this Fucking album hell. i know i'm not saying all of them were good no. <laughs> there's obviously a lot of bad ones um so and, much filler and, <laughs> yeah, and some of them weren't even full-fledged songs there would be like um a 30 second song about um mick wrote a song about a dog humping his leg like you know amazing <laughs> i think it was like why does my dog hump my leg he humps my leg it's not like really bad song but you know like it, it i hope one day like that it, gets released as like a b-side or rarity i want to hear the hum, <laughs> humper dog's leg the song. Song. <laughs> yeah. just gets a really good like animal uh like branding yeah you know um, but um but it like that kind of having three songwriters in the band that all contribute kind of means that you it always has like three years on it and and we always um we'll all we'll always sort of like never I, I feel like that's why we can keep writing and make it feel fresh because there'll be like you melted into two for instance was probably the first song mix come up with the chorus like he's like i like really like this chorus that i've written and and so it it, it always sounds like doonies because it's all three of us always writing these songs together and and um yeah and it means that we just cover a lot of different shit do you think the fact, like, I speak to a lot of bands, and when you think of bands like Deftones, Incubus, they've all been going sort of 20 years, and you guys are obviously still feeling like you've got so much more to prove, you're not, like, fighting all the time and wanting to go on hiatus or anything like that. So yeah. do you think it's the fact that you three are best mates and you'll go and do snowboarding and surfing and just hang out and party and are genuinely good friends and it isn't forced that you are still probably only just starting your journey? Yeah, well, it helps when you don't peak early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that you know, graduation. Yeah, like we didn't. I would love to have Incubus's status and then just hate them and like. That's it. But, uh, we, no, but um, no, but yeah, that's it. Like it's kind of like we we just you know in this band we might not be the the best. Like it's like we're kind of like the bees or, or whatever at times. Like we don't um think that we're like the 
you know, God's savior to punk or, or whatever. But I, I think we just like that. We bring um, the thing we bring, I think is that we like love like each other, like we're, we're really good mates. And it's sort of, I feel like you feel it in the Doonies like vibe, like our brand or whatever is kind of like, we really like are just really good mates that are playing in a band together. And, you know, we, uh, there's a band called Cosmic Psychos um, from from Australia who, who are really OG sort of um, punk band that played with Nirvana and Pearl Jam and shit back in the day. And they're all 60 years old and still playing shows together. And for me, that kind of like epitomised what we want to kind of, that would, to us would be success is like if, if when we're 60, we're just these old dudes going on a fishing trip pretty much, which is a tour, you know, um, playing shows. And I kind of, reckon when we went on tour with them and saw that we all just sat around in the bus going man that'd be sick if we're just these old dudes like doing this i think all of us think that that would to us would be doonies being successful like it wouldn't be necessarily um no fuck million dollar and million sales and shit would be fucking epic because you you know be able to buy a new fishing rod and stuff but like <laughs> you know, when you're 60 yeah when i'm 60 <laughs> But I think that to us that that's kind of like where our heads at is just to to kind of um we're only just getting started. I think we're still writing better albums each album, and while that's the case, well, and whilst we're all still best mates, I think that's when while the when the band will uh, keep going. Did you have a point when during lockdown and everything went crazy over the last couple of years? Was there any points there where you got to reevaluate everything because everything was put on hold? Was it a good chance then to reflect and think? my God, you know, this band does mean everything to me without it now and without touring and without us being able to be in the same room. I really fucking appreciate what we have. Or was it a kind of time to reflect and step back and say, is this really what I still want? Oh, I think it, no, I think it a hundred percent made us just realize we suck as humans outside of this band. <laughs> like we kind of, like for me it's, uh, and Brett and Mick, it was, uh, it was this weird thing, right? Where, at the time when it happened, it felt like awesome. We get six months off because at the time we'd been going pretty hard for about six years. Like we had been heavily toured. I think we'd done about five US tours, uh, four UK, Europe tours, like two South Africa tours, a China tour, Asia tours. Like we we had gone pretty hard. And so when it when it first happened, I was like, fuck yeah. Like I get to see some family for a bit, like go, um, you know, we all just had things that we I think we thought, oh, I wouldn't mind trying to get a house and and do all that stuff because we've been living out of suitcases for years um and then after about three four months we found that we were all just back in a studio writing another album and that was this album um you know because we just realized that we can't you know all that we're very lucky that we get to do this for a living because all our mates are builders you know plumbers all that sort of stuff and we come home and you know we we're pretty blessed that like we just get to write music and tour the world and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I was an oyster farmer for three days because my mate needed help on his oyster farm. Um, and I was doing that. It was a fun job. Like it was therapeutic, but I was like, man, I'm fucking, I'm, I'm not meant to be doing this. Like I, I want to be touring with my mates um, yeah. and doing stuff. So I think for us, it was a pretty, um, yeah, it was a pr- pretty eye-opening thing about how lucky we are to do it. And, um it, it was tough towards the end it's only been getting a lot easier now when we've started booking in all these tours that, that we're like fuck yeah it's, and the album's coming out it feels like we're actually uh have a purpose again so does it kind of make you re 
reevaluate as well and really appreciate the things you do. So I know you said you worked on an oyster farm and all this sort of stuff, but not just that, just the fact that just to play live again, you're not going to ever look kind of take for granted the fact that people will be at a live show, you know, people yeah. turn up and give their hard earned money to watch you guys perform. I think that like with us, it's not the, um, like we've never taken playing for granted because we've all worked massive jobs before we got this. Like I was a debt collector for six years. Um, you know, Mick worked in, um, in um, offloading real estate at a call center. Brett was like a baker and stuff like that. But the thing is that after you tour for five, six years straight, you get at times you can get a bit numb to, you can go out there and it's just like, you're playing and it's epic and you do it and then and then you're back into a tour van and you're just going in the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one and you get a bit numb to the actual um to the show at times and and then the first couple of shows back it's just been like this fucking adrenaline rush again like where it's like you you know we've gotten that definitely back because you know, like when we come home and um, back right before this happened, we played 40,000 people at Splendor and my mates are like tripping going, man, how do you play to 40,000 people? And and it's like, well, at the time, you didn't think it was 40,000 because you were slowly building up. First, it started five years ago to 200 people. Then it was 500 people. Then it was 1,000 people. And then, you know, it's all of a sudden you go on tour with the subways when we did and it was like 10,000 people or then you know like you come back home and you play the odd festival and it was 20,000 and and then eventually you find yourself at Splendor in the Grass you know main stage 40,000 people or whatever it is and you kind of like get built up to that and you, yeah and it's not like so you're coming in straight away like oh here's your first yeah. gig at your headline download <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have a, yeah. yeah have a go at that boys like yeah. and you Good just luck. yourself so yeah. After the time off, then we our first show back was like this festival, and it was uh I think it was fifteen thousand people in front of, and it was just like I was saying to Mick backstage, we were just like shaking. We we're like, "Fuck, let's go out and tear this up!" And like, we got out there, and it was like riding a bike. But the moments in between songs, it was a bit more sitting back and going, "Fuck yeah, this is yeah. epic!" Like you know, this is a rush. And with your brand new album that's coming out, real, it's not the easiest one to say, real, rare, <laughs> whale. God, it's, it's a real tough one. Um, I know, it's either genius marketing or the dumbest marketing on the planet. I love yeah, it. No I just, God, I always have to stop and go, right, let's do this again. But um, yeah. this album, you, you say, I know when everyone's ever promoting an album, but surely you must be so proud of it. I've had an advanced copy and I absolutely fucking love it. And you, you guys must be thinking to yourself, it's the best stuff you've been writing. Yeah, dude. I like. I'm glad you said it because fuck, you feel like the biggest cliche where you're just like, it's the greatest album we've ever read. But honestly, like, I've been having to play it for the last two weeks because of um rehearsing it and stuff. And it's just, man, every song. It's it's not a long album. It's 30 minutes, and it goes by really quick. I feel because it's quite fast pe- t- tempoed yeah. songs. But um, I just fucking. Just to me personally, as a Dooney's fan, as there's got no holes in it. It's it's like each song, each part of each song, as um, to me is just super fun. And it's like um, even just like for me, like little things like skate or don't. The last like um, line that screams skate, and then there's a pause, and then it's like or don't. Is like the or don't was the producer. We made him get in the booth and do the or don't. And he's like, I don't want to fucking get in there. And we're like, get in there and give it. And he's like, masked his voice because he didn't want to be on the fucking record and shit. And there's just all these. I love all these little stories. 
yeah, these little Easter eggs in it, which are in there. And, um, and like the drink all day with it, it's like me going, um, you know what they say, if you drink all day, you got to start in the morning. It was like we were at South, <laughs> South by Southwest in, in Austin, Texas. And we were like at our RV and there was a Texas dude that was next to us. And he was like, we came out of the RV one day and he's like sitting there drinking. It was like 9am and we're like, his name was Tex. And we're like having a beer Tex. And he's like, well, you know what they say? If you drink all day, you got to start in the morning. And we were just like, man, I'm book noting that. Yeah, for I'm life. writing that down on my phone yeah. as a note now. Yeah. And so there's just bits in this album where I think it's just super fun. I feel like the world needs a fun record right now um, to Definitely. go out and and jump around to so i'm super proud of this one i think i'm i honestly personally reckon it's my favorite dune rats album because i just think that if you like dune rats you probably like us because we're a fun band and i think this is the funnest album that we've done so i agree yeah is it quite daunting to then bring these into the set list so you said you've been learning them at the moment and getting them ready to go out on tour is it weird because you know what it's like when you're a band you go out there you play the songs everyone's like play your big hits and then yeah. you're like, but here's a new one because as a <laughs> band, we really want to fucking play this because it's exciting, yeah. it's new, and it gives us a chance to play songs we've not played before, and it's challenging. But at the same time, we understand that you just want 10 of our biggest songs. Well, that's like the bonus, I guess, about writing new songs that are fast and fun because, yeah. because it, will, it will go down a treat live um, a little bit more. Don't worry, like I fully get that. Like, we call it taking it out to the back paddock and shooting a song where we kind of like know that'll be the last time we play that song live, which is a lot of the time not the hits, they're the, B, the, the other songs on an album and the slowly as you write more albums those songs go off and you just keep the hits and uh, or like the, the more popular songs so um there's a few songs now once this album comes out that we're going to take out the back and give them and shoot them in the head and to me I, th- I can't wait to like i think that up uh memorable night and melted into two are, um, the three single songs that we've released so far there's another song called pamela aniston which i think is going to be um a really nice song to play live um you know and skate or don't and um another little one's space get it's a bit more of a nostalgic um one but i kind of i hope that i really hope that a lot of these songs grip so we can play them live because playing them live right in the last two weeks they've they're going to be fun live I, i have a feeling yeah it's amazing. I'm glad the world is almost back to normal now. You know, hopefully we'll get to see you guys over here in the UK soon. So many I festivals, like... so much catching up to do. You know, now it's gone insane. So as a music fan, it's the most crazy time to try and afford all these gigs because all the bands you've been waiting <laughs> to see. So like this week, you've got 2000 Trees coming up and Pearl Jam and all the bands that have been put on hold for two years. And now everybody's fucking announcing gigs. So it's uh, it's insane. <laughs> well, that's why we kind of held out to next year. So yeah. hopefully everyone gets a bit of money for Christmas and then they can spend it on Dune Rats tickets. Definitely. Yeah. Dude, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. But what I do is I ask one question to everyone that comes on the podcast. And it's my final question for you today. What I do is I make the podcast as original as I can. And what I try and do is on every outro of every episode, and we're over 200 episodes in now, is ask the guest to pick the outro piece of music, okay? So it's on the spot. But yeah. don't be arrogant and pick one of your own, okay? Because that's not cool. Yeah. What bands usually do is get it down to about 10 songs and think, fuck, this is going to be tough. But 
The interview's all done. We've edited it and it's ready to go out there. What's the one song by a band that you absolutely love that you want to be the song that is following your interview today? Oh, it's ah. a tough one. People in bands are like, fucking hell, can I come back to you? And I'm like, no, you've got to do it on the episode live. So it could be any band, any piece of music, maybe a song from a film or just something that means a lot to you. But it is putting you on um, the spot. Um, that Cheap Trick song, um, what is it? Um, Mommy's all right. Daddy's all right. It just That's a great to tune. Weird. Um, Surrender. Yes. Yeah. Is there any meaning behind it or is it just the one that comes to uh, I just kind of love like Cheap Trick's sound. I just reckon that they sound so good. I love it. That's enough reason. Some people have like, oh, well, I met my wife to this song or it's my child was born or it's the first song that made me play guitar, but you just fucking love the song. Yeah, I was just listening to the car the other day and I was like, fuck, man. That's, I actually was showing my partner it because we were doing this thing where we each choose a song and we just keep going until someone fucks it up and, and we both just like, eh. and I showed her Cheap Trick and she's she's a bit more into like Cardi B and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, and like, you know, uh, and I'd played it and she was just like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, it's Cheap Trick. Like, I fucking love this song. So, yeah. Amazing. It's a great song. Dude, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I can't wait Thanks till next year to come and see you play live. I can't wait for people to hear the album. And honestly, I truly mean it. You know, I can tell bands that I'm very honest and you can listen to my previous episodes. I will tell you if your album isn't your best. I'll say, you know, it's pretty good. Thanks. Yeah. But this album is fucking incredible. The fact that it flies over half an hour is amazing. And it is. It's the best introduction to your band. It's like it's got a bit of everything. It's like a pick a mix of all your best stuff over the years. And I think for 10, for 30 minutes, it's just a fucking awesome experience and ride. And I can't wait for people to hear it. Hey, that is amazing to hear. Thank you very much, Woody. You're a legend. Thank you. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Danny from the amazing Dune Rats. And as I said at the start of today's interview, I knew the moment we started recording, the energy was there, the chemistry was there. We just hit it off and it was so much fun. And I really hope when the band are touring in the UK next, we can meet up and record a follow-up because I could honestly talk to Danny for hours. He was a dream guest. And if everyone was like that, my job would be an absolute dream. Also on that interview, you heard us heavily talk about their brand new album, Real Where Whale. A really hard one to say, but this honestly is an incredible album. And if you've listened to today and enjoyed the interview, I urge you to go and check this album out. It's available now on all those streaming platforms or go and buy a CD or vinyl. That's what helps the band the most. It's amazing. And then hook me up on social media and let me know your thoughts. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you're new to Mark and Me, there's over 200 episodes available right now and they're all free. But all I ask in return for listening is to share it. It makes a massive difference to Mark and me and can really help. So if you're on Facebook and you see this advert for the podcast, why not just hit that share button? If you're on Twitter, hit the retweet button. Or if you're in Instagram, why not just share it on one of your stories or just give it a like because then other people see it. It goes a long way and can really get the name of Mark and me out there. I'm a one man team. I don't have money for marketing and that's what I rely on to get more and more listeners to Mark and me. And if you've really enjoyed today's episode, I do have a Patreon account. On there, you can sign up for as little as £1 a month. You're guaranteed two episodes at least every single week. For signing up, you get an exclusive pin badge. But not only that, you get a stickers pack, some incredible opportunities to win some amazing prizes each and every month, thanks to my good friends at Richer Sounds. And 
all the way along this money goes right back into the podcast so it really means that I can go out there go on journeys to meet people go to gigs and basically record more and more interviews which means for you guys at home more and more podcasts so it's a win-win and you might just think oh it's only a pound but honestly it goes so far when you're trying to do stuff independently on a podcast so thanks again I'll be back in only a few days time with a brand new episode so until then Listen to Dune Rats, look after yourself, take care and I'll speak to you all very soon.